very much, Mike. <clears throat> Sorry, that was my fault. I only wanted the first half of the chapter, but no harm. No harm in getting, getting the whole thing. <laughs> but thanks, thank you. I did wonder where it was going to end. And I was going to check it on my phone, but then I remember my phone makes noises, Christmas noises, in the middle of the service. So I better not put that on. And uh, <clears throat> I've actually brought, as you will uh, no doubt have seen, my, one of my Christmas jumpers today. This is the one that you can throw uh, balls at, and they land on different points. And we were doing it uh, with the children yesterday in Breakfast in Bethlehem. And John Williams happened to walk past and say, Chris, lots of people in this church want to throw things at you. <laughs> so afterwards, in, at coffee, if it's a good sermon, go for the 100. If it's not so good, it's a 25. And there's even a big zero on the back. Okay? <laughs> so we'll see. But um, a few months ago, uh, I, I gave a little talk, uh, an all-age talk, on, uh, on a new telescope that had been uh, launched last Christmas. Uh, and it's now in orbit uh, a million miles from the Earth, four times further than the Moon. It's called the James Webb Space Telescope. And you may well have seen pictures uh, on the media, on the news. They're still coming, and there will be more headlines. There are more discoveries to come. Uh, there are some immensely beautiful images. Here's one which is possibly my favourite. It's called the Tarantula Nebula. And it's a favourite for stars study, uh, astronomers studying star formation. It's a, it's, a, it's a cloud of gas in the universe where stars are being born. So those blue stars in the middle, they're young stars, very young stars, just, just millions of years old. Some of them hundreds of millions of years, but so young. And astronomers are studying those. We're seeing thousands of stars we've never seen before with this telescope. Um, it's this cloud of gas is, is what we call it's in our local cluster which means it's quite close to us it's, it's 160,000 light years away light travels at 300,000 kilometers a second or try and think about try and get this or 10 trillion kilometers a year 10 trillion that's 10,000 billion kilometers a year so 160,000 times that is how far away this is. So it is close in astronomical terms. And even uh, the distance from the left to the right of this cloud is 340 light years, meaning it will take light 340 years going from the left to reach the right. So when we look at this cloud of gas in the universe, we're looking back in time 160,000 years at how it was then. We're not seeing it as it was now. Uh, and the reason, just in case you wonder, why is it called the tarantula nebula? It doesn't look, look like a spider, but it, apparently it resembles the home of a burrowing tarantula lined with its silk. Here's a much more famous image, which was possibly the first one that came out in July this year, of an area of the sky called SMAX 0723. This is much further away. And in fact, Phil used this photograph a few weeks ago when he gave a talk on wonder, just childlike wonder at the universe, that every splodge you see on there, they're not stars apart from one or two, they're galaxies, which means that they are groups of 100,000 million or more stars. In each of those splodges, there's 100,000 million or more stars and an incalculable number of planets. These, this area of the sky is much further away, so most of the galaxies on there are 4 billion light years away. 
It means it's taken the light when it sets off from there. It's taken that light four billion years to reach our eyes. One of the galaxies on there, astronomers, physicists, and mathematicians believe, is 13 billion light years away. It's taken so long for the light to reach us. Stunningly beautiful, majestic, awesome, billions of light years away. The numbers are too great for us to understand and too, too, the, the, the distances too, too, long, too far to get our heads around. <clears throat> but if that, that were not enough, think about this. Okay, If you were to take a grain of sand, a single grain of sand, and hold it up at arm's length, the area of the sky covered by that grain of sand is roughly the area of sky covered by this photograph. It's just a pinprick in the night sky that reveals so much. We think uh, that the, the, the gaps between the stars is empty, don't we? But as an astronomer, a Christian astronomer friend of mine said, when I had the privilege of interviewing her earlier this year, she said, we think the gaps between the stars are empty, but they are not. God has filled the universe with an extravagance of beauty, even when there's no one else to see it. And that article, which was, is my privilege to interview some Christian astronomers, is on my website, sevenminutes.net, also in the notes underneath this video on YouTube if you want to read that. Astronomy is really all about light and darkness. To do astronomy, you need dark and you need light as well. Okay, there are other branches of astronomy that look at X-rays and radio waves, but essentially, it's a study of light. Traditionally, it's always been a study of light. And a couple of things, uh, light that has been crossing the universe for millions, even billions of years. Uh, light, much of the light in the universe, is incredibly ancient and precedes everything. As Genesis 1 tells us, the very first thing God said, let there be. Light. Light precedes everything. Sometimes the light, often the light is intrinsic, meaning a star burns and gives off light. It burns hydrogen and helium, has nuclear processes going on, and gives out light. But light in the universe can also be reflected. If you were to look at any of the planets, and there's a photograph of the Earth and the Moon, which are stunningly beautiful as well. That's reflected light. They don't have their own lights. Mars and Jupiter are really easy to see at the moment with the naked eye. Beautiful to see in the night sky. That's reflected light. Both types of light can create immense beauty in our universe today. Well, today, I want to open up a little bit of that passage, that mysterious and strange passage from Isaiah that talks about light and dark. This passage also reaches back into ancient times. And this passage also reaches a dazzling, glittering conclusion, as I hope you will agree when we get there. Let me read the first couple of verses to you again. Can you move the slide on? It's not moved on. Let's read these couple of verses to you again. Nevertheless, says Isaiah, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. 
The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Or as some translations say, a new light has dawned. These words from Isaiah were written, we believe, 700 years before the birth of Jesus, or approximately 2,700 years ago. And uh, it was written in the time before Israel were carried off into exile in Babylon, or what we now call Iraq, before they entered that period of slavery. Um, Some of the books of the Bible are written into that period of slavery, of exile. Daniel, which we've just finished the series on, and Ezekiel were written for the time of exile. Some of the books of the Bible were written for after the time of exile, when the people returned. So Ezra and Nehemiah, the people came back and they rebuilt the walls, they rebuilt the temple. But most of the Old Testament prophets by far, including Isaiah, are written into this time before exile, before slavery, as Isaiah was as well. So he's speaking into this time before exile. And what we see is both warning and reassurance. There will be a time of deep gloom, says Isaiah. But eventually, at some distant point in the future, that this darkness will be broken by a new and great light. A light which even Isaiah couldn't possibly have understood. He only had fleeting glimpses. He only had fragments of words, momentary revelations. He didn't know what this light could be. He only knew it's coming. A new dawn, says Isaiah, will come into the world and it will have something to do with a child being born, which we'll look at those verses in in a few minutes. So let's just unpack these two verses to start with. So let me run through these. Nevertheless, says Isaiah, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. The nation of Israel is already in distress at this point in time. They have already been in confusion, in darkness. They've already been trusting in themselves rather than in God. They are already plunged into darkness. But, says Isaiah, something is about to change. There will be no more gloom. Then the next line. In the past, he humbled the lands of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. What's that about? Well, Zebulun and Naphtali were two regions of Israel in the far north. And they had already been invaded by another nation called Assyria. Uh, the capital of which was Nineveh, which I think all of us have heard of because of Jonah. So that land, Naphtali and Zebulun, they've already been invaded. They've already had been scattered. That darkness has already come. But, he carries on, in the future, he doesn't know when, he doesn't know what he's talking, what he's really saying. But in the future, God, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. And here's the prophecy that somehow, in a way that Isaiah couldn't possibly have understood, God will, is going to use this area of Galilee. Now, of course, we can look back at the Old Testament in, from a privileged position through Jesus and see what this was about, that there was going to come a time and that God would do something. He would do it through a child. A son would be born. A child would be given. And he would spend his time in the area of Galilee, predominantly around the Sea of Galilee. But Isaiah just didn't know that. He just felt led to write these words then. 
The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. So what is this light? This light is, this, is the coming of this son, this child. As I prophesied a day in the future when God would give his people light once more. But not through the birth of a warrior or a king, but the birth of a child born in a back street. And then those famous verses, for to us unto us a child is born and to us a son is given. And the government, meaning all authority, will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Wonderful Advisor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And some of you I know will be one, desperate to break into Handel's Messiah, but don't. But lots, these are famous words, are they not, that have been used and sung uh, throughout generations. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, writing these words but not knowing what they meant. Fleeting glimpses, momentary insights. How confused and yet how excited and encouraged this, this man must have been as he wrote this. This coming of this light, which as Christians we know as the Son of God, as Jesus Christ, the Christ light. And this is Isaiah's great prophecy. This is his great prophecy of the coming of Jesus the Messiah. Jesus the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the prince of peace. Jesus the Christ's light. This is not the only place uh, where Isaiah prophesies of Jesus, but it's probably the main place that he, in which he does that. So, having looked at that, those verses in Isaiah, in Isaiah a little bit, let's put a pause on Isaiah and go back and talk about this light that Isaiah speaks of. This light, this Christ light, is what he foresaw. And um, doesn't the Bible actually call Christ, is he not even called the bright morning star in Revelation? This is the, light, the Christ light of which Isaiah foresaw. And remember, I said to you, much of the light in our universe is incredibly old, incredibly ancient. Billions of years old, up to 13 billion years old, astronomers believe. And yet, here is a light, the Christ light, that pre-existed even that. That pre-existed the cosmos. Astronomers have a phrase that they use to describe the very first light of our universe. The moment the very first stars began to shine. They call it the cosmic dawn. The cosmic dawn. But this light pre-existed even the cosmic dawn. A truly, truly ancient light. The Christ light, the bright morning star. But let's think about that word, that phrase of Jesus being the light and just try and understand what does that actually mean, that Jesus is the light of the world. What, what do we mean by that? Here's a couple of uh, places where John speaks of uh, Jesus as the light. I am the light of the world, said Jesus. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And I have come into this world as light, so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. So Jesus himself, according to John, describes himself as the light. But what does that mean?
Well, <clears throat> I, I suggest it means three things, at least three things, of Christ the light. It means, first of all, that Jesus is the light of truth. That light that enables us to see and understand who God is. The truth of this universe. And also, um, a light that enables us to see the truth about ourselves. The light of conscience. Things that trouble us which are not right. Or things that trouble us about the world that's not right. That's the light of truth. The light of the Christ light gives us the light of truth. Secondly, the Christ light gives us light of guidance. When we need to take decisions. When we are going through life, whatever stage of life we're at. It's the Christ light that guides us. That can guide us along our way in difficult times and good times. And thirdly, I think the Christ light, Jesus being the light of the world, is, is simple sheer goodness. Simple, sheer goodness and kindness. Jesus spent a lot of his time just being kind. The Good Samaritan story, love your neighbor, one of the most important things you can do in life, says Jesus, is to love your neighbor as yourself. Just the sheer light of goodness is, is also the Christ light. Okay, so let's start to bring this home then and start to conclude this because today we've been to the furthest corners of the universe, have we not? And we've been to some distant reaches of the Bible, have we not? But what does this mean for us here and now? Isaiah was writing to a people to roughly 2,700 years ago who, who were already in deep gloom and for whom things were going to get worse. They were going to enter a much darker period in exile. Their darkness seems obvious, and it, but it seems somehow remote from us. It's so long ago. Such a different people. And yet, do we not also find, our, find ourselves sometimes living in darkness, living in gloom? We are in the darkest month of the year. And even that, some people, including myself, find difficult, the lack of daylight. That, is, that alone can make things feel dark. But not just that. We are also, are we not in a gloomy period for our country? We keep seeing the news of uh, economic woes, economic uncertainty, strikes and more strikes. And are we not also in a dark period internationally, with many countries entering recession, uh, news of, and, 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 and uh, views of uh, actual war in our, own, in our own continent, difficulties in international relations with great powers like China and Russia, you could very well see, say that we are also living in dark times. And yet, here, God says, through Isaiah, through John, through the New Testament as well as old, that light has come into the world. Light has come into the world and we are to walk in the light. Walk in the light, even with the darkness around us. Jesus said, you are the light of the world now. You are the light of the world now. And in that passage, a city on a hill cannot be hidden. Let your light shine. But that sounds hard, doesn't it? That sounds difficult, were to be the light. But I, I, I say today to you, you are a people of light already as you are right now. You are, you are already light, shining, reflecting the goodness of Christ into our lives and those around us. 
One last point about light before we finish is tiny light, a tiny amount of light can dispel huge swathes of darkness. A tiny light can penetrate billions of miles. Now a star, okay, it's a burning mass, huge mass of hydrogen and helium, and there's nuclear fusions going on uh, all the time. So it's a powerful, a powerful object, and yet... Remember, these are trillions and trillions and trillions of miles away. And even, but even a modest star, the light of a modest star, not a huge star, will penetrate these trillions of miles of darkness over many years, billions of years, so that we can see it with our naked eye. Bringing that analogy down to earth, did you know, did you know that a single candle just like one of these, a single candle flame in perfect darkness can be seen one and a half miles away. For one and a half miles, you'll see a single candle. If you know it, that's the distance from here to Ego, to the, uh, the green dragon. A single candle shining there would be seen from here in perfect darkness. Tiny lights penetrate huge swathes of darkness. Uh, incredible, but darkness can never overcome light. In fact, it's the opposite. The deeper the darkness, the more we see the light. Astronomers love darkness, because that's how we see light. As John said of Jesus, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has never overcome it, can never overcome it, because the deeper the darkness, the more penetrating the light So for us today, we await the coming, to, the coming of Christ on Christmas Day and the second coming of Jesus. We're, we're, uh, as regards Christmas, we're in the moment before the moment. And we pause just to think about these things in Advent. Jesus, uh, Isaiah was prophesying. He didn't know what it meant, but he was prophesying the coming of Jesus. We await the second coming of Jesus. But as we wait right now, we are already a people of light bringing light, shedding light, sharing light, reflecting light, light that breaks apart darkness. Darkness cannot withstand the light of Christ and the light of God's people. It's the light of truth, the light of guidance, the light of goodness. And you can bring this light into your world, your life, this week, just by being you and doing the things that you do well. Uh, earlier this year, we had quite a lot of work done on our house. And uh, we had a, a new kitchen and some construction work. Uh, a bathroom was sorted out. A lot of things done. And we had a whole series of tradesmen and tradespeople coming through our house. Uh, six or seven different. We had uh, building constructors. We had uh, kitchen fitters. We had a plumber. We had an electrician. Uh, we had a guy who lays the floor, whatever, whatever you call that, a flooring person. Uh, and the last person, you can tell I, I know a lot about this, the last person who came was uh, someone who did some decorating and a bit of joinery. And that person you know it was Danny, Danny Newton, who, uh, who plays in our band here. And uh, Danny's was the last bill I paid. And uh, I, I got Danny's bill and I said, Danny, I need to talk to you about your bill, and particularly your day rate. And he said, oh, really? I said, yeah. Look, I've had five or six different types of tradesmen in this house this year. Yours is by far the lowest rate. I mean, one of these rates is more than three times your rate. 
you need to increase your rates. And Danny looked at me and he said, you know, first of all he said, I couldn't sleep at night charging those rates, which was, which was good. But he also said, Chris, all, all I'm doing is, is painting some walls for you. That's all I'm doing. And I said, Danny, you're not just painting walls. You're bringing joy and light into my house. Even now when I go into those rooms that Danny's painted, my spirit is lifted. I feel this is a good place to be. You are not, uh, it's not paint, it's light, Danny. It's joy. You're not just painting a wall. So sidebar, if you use Danny and his rate has gone up a little bit, right? <laughs> Blame me. But it's still cheaper than the other five or six guys. Anyway, I've done enough advertising his business. Um, I don't know what you guys do. I don't know what you do or what you're doing this week. But this Christmas, there are lots of things to do, aren't there? For all of us, lots of things to fill our heads. Lots of things going on at home, at work, with our neighbors, at church. So much busyness, so much going on. But as we await Christmas and go through all these things, never forget that God has, God has made you a person of light. Whatever you do, paid or unpaid, whatever you do, do it well, and you are bringing light into this world just by doing what you do. Be the one who gets up in the office and says, who wants a brew? Finish that project, that report well, and celebrate it with your colleagues. Be the person on the street who's known as a listening ear. Be the person who's got 10 minutes for your colleagues who, who wants to chat about something. You are already a person of light and you are already bringing light into this world just by doing the things you do and doing it well. You are bringing that goodness, that guidance, that truth into the darkness that can be around us. And remember, the tiniest, tiniest light, however tiny you think your light is, can dispel huge swathes of darkness, can break through billions of miles of darkness, So Jesus said, you are the light of the world. You are now the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. It's too bright. Neither does anyone take a lamp and place it under a bowl. Who does that? They put it on a stand so it gives light to the whole house. Therefore, says Jesus, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Let me pray for you as we finish. The writer to the Hebrews says uh, at the start of Hebrews, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors at many times and in different ways. But in these last days, he has spoken by his son. And that's true. We've seen that today in the past. God spoke to us at many times and in different ways. But in these last days, he has spoken by his son. The sun is the radiance of God's glory. Jesus is the shining of God. And Lord Jesus, as we look to that light, as we welcome that light today, the light of, that gives us truth, the light that sh shows us the way, that gives us guidance, and the light that helps us to bring goodness into this world, help us, Lord, to know that as people who follow that light, who trust that light, who look to that light, that we can be that light wherever we are today, this week. Thank you, Lord, that you are the light of the world. 
We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.